0: Thanks, tonight we come to uh, message three. The title of this message is Being Faithful in Service in the Lord's Commission and in His Gifts for His Second and Imminent Coming. Based on Matthew uh, chapters 24 and 25, we can see that every believer, there are two basic statuses. One is that the believer is a virgin. It's a virgin um, waiting for the return of the bridegroom. That requires them to be filled with oil, filled with the spirit. This is in relation to uh, the growth in life, or I would say even the maturity of life. Then secondly, the second basic status of a Christian is that he is a slave. A slave who has been given talents to exercise, to use, to gain more talents, uh, to be rewarded when the master returns. So this is a matter of, faithfulness, the requiring requirement of faithfulness with these slaves. With the uh, virgins, uh, they need to be watchful so that they will not miss the opportunity to gain the Lord, to be filled with the Spirit as the oil, so that they can become mature in life to meet the bridegroom to match the bridegroom, for them to be raptured. But with the slaves, they need to be faithful, <clears throat> faithful to what the Lord, their master, has commissioned to them, given them the gifts. So <clears throat> um, you may say also, uh, the, with the matter of the slaves uh, needing to be watchful, in life for their maturity, this is more related to their individual Christian life. But with the slave, for their to be faithful in their service, is more related to the church life. So, brothers and sisters, even from these two um, uh, statuses, we can see <clears throat> that the Lord desires for us not only to have a spirit-filled individual Christian life before him, he also desires for us to have a faithful serving life in his body, corporately in the church life. The Lord never intends that in saving us, to leave us as just good individual Christians, loving him, seeking him, growing in him in that individual way, personal way. He desires us to be living in the body, and he desires us for for us to serve him. Everyone who loves the Lord, everyone who desires to grow in the Lord, must engage in a service to the Lord. None of us should just be seeking spirituality in itself. It is normal. It is only normal that every believer, every genuine lover of Christ is a slave serving the Lord. Otherwise, we will not grow well. We will not even arrive at our maturity in in a proper way. So we need to have a good balance Between these two aspects, these two statuses of our Christian as a believer, both as a slave to be watchful in life, both as a virgin to be watchful in life, and also as a slave to be faithful in our service. And tonight's message is, it focuses on this second status of us being a slave. We need to be faithful in our service in two aspects. In, firstly, in the Lord's commission. The Lord has commissioned his slaves uh, in a very particular way. We need to serve the Lord, not according to what we think is right, what we think is necessary. We have to carry out our service according to the Lord's commission. Then secondly, we have to serve the Lord in His gifts <clears throat> in His gifts. Uh, he has given us some talents. He has some, given us gifts to exercise. <clears throat> we have to use these talents. We cannot bury these talents to ignore these talents. We have to use these talents even to multiply so that when the Lord returns, he can gain a multiplication of these talents that we use. So tonight we want to spend some time to look at these two aspects of our service. How we should serve in a way to fulfill the Lord's commission and also to exercise the gifts that he has given to us, and as the title also says, this is for his second and imminent coming. <clears throat> the service that we are talking about tonight is not just a general type of Christian service, which we have spoken also very much um, in the past, even among Christians. They they talk about serving the Lord, uh, going out to preach the gospel, going to evangelize the world. Well the kind of service we are touching tonight is in view of the Lord's second and imminent coming <clears throat> To me this is very meaningful. this is this uh, uh, this matter of the service is presented here in Matthew 24 and 25. This is in the context of the Lord's imminent return. So we are carrying out, we must be faithful in this service in the light of the Lord's second coming. <clears throat> Please keep this in mind. Then the first point says Matthew twenty four <clears throat> forty five to 51 reveals that we must be faithful in service in the Lord's commission to give God as food to the members of his household. So that we may win Christ as our reward in the coming kingdom. <clears throat> Matthew 25, um, uh, verse 45 <clears throat> is quite particular in that the master set his uh, uh, slave over his household to what? To give them food. The particular aspect of the service that is revealed here in Matthew 24 is that of giving food. It's not just to evangelize. It's not just to do a lot of great work for God to uh, organize his church, make sure everything runs properly, smoothly. The master's, his desire is that to make sure that his household is adequately fed, is richly fed. This touch me touches me very much. Today, when we talk about the service, what is our concept? We are concept of we are filled with concept of doing, doing something, right? Going here, going there, uh, have a lot of activities. <clears throat> we don't have that much concept of feeding giving food. I won't say that uh, it is totally absent, but it is not on the top of our priority. We want to serve in a way to get things done, right? To make sure that uh, uh, sinners can be saved and that we can uh, draw a big crowd, gain a lot of following for the Lord, and then we can even... Uh, expound the Bible in a, in a, in a very attractive way. <clears throat> the Lord here, his concern is about food. <clears throat> food for his household. He does not want his, food, his household to be famishing. In this, in this uh, <clears throat> series of messages, we are very conscious of the Lord's imminent return. The Lord is coming back. And as we saw in the past meetings, he is coming back for his bride. How, is, how will his bride be prepared? The bride will not be prepared by teaching, by organization. The bride can only be prepared with the adequate, sufficient growth in life. <clears throat> and how can there be the genuine and proper growth in life? It's only by the proper feeding. There has to be the proper eating, the proper feeding, so that the church may grow and may become mature to be prepared as the bride. So it is very meaningful that in the service touched here in uh, uh, Matthew twenty-four, it's not just uh, it's not about doing many things for the Lord. A lot of zealous activities. But it's a matter of, it's rather concerning giving food. Giving food. This must be foremost. This, must, this is the, the urgent need, you may say, among us. In all our conferences, trainings, or even in all our vital group meetings. In the church uh, prophesying meetings. We must be full of this consciousness. We are here to give food. To God's people, right? Whether you are a coworker, an elder, a responsible brother, or just a just a just a regular saint in the church life, there should be this consciousness filling our heart. We are here. We want to serve the Lord. I love the Lord. I want to, and I must serve Him. But how do I serve Him? Not just to give myself to go to the mission field to to do many uh, great work for God. No but to give God's people food, right? So in every gathering, <clears throat> even this weekend, I hope we are not just here expounding some verses, some, some portions of the word to, uh, to, to the saints. I hope through the speaking, food would be rendered. Food would be ministered. Now, A says, God has a household and a household administration and economy to dispense himself as food to the members of his household for his expression, our God has an economy, and that economy is his uh, dispensation dispensing of himself as food to the to his children to the believers god 's economy is a food distributing Economy. <clears throat> God's economy is not about correction. It's not about improvement. It's not about making some kind of reform. God's economy is his oikonomia, which is a household administration, a household management to make sure there is a this there is an adequate, rich dispensing of himself as food, as life to his believers. So that God can be their life, God can be their everything. So this is very much <clears throat> uh, in line with the uh, uh, God's economy. Our service must be one with God's economy for the distributing of food of God as food into His the members of His household. <clears throat> B says, "God has said." Faithful and prudent slaves over his household as household administrators, stewards, channels of supply to give his people food at the proper time. You see the verses <clears throat> in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about himself, he was a steward. Uh, he was a stu- exercising his stewardship. Ephesians 3, uh, the same same thing. He's talking about the uh, the stewardship that he was given by God. Not only Pe- not only Paul, Peter says the same thing in First Peter chapter four verse ten. He was a steward of the uh, uh, multi uh, uh, manifold grace of God. <clears throat> in the in the thought of these apostles, they considered themselves. Not only as teachers, as preachers, they were, they taught the word, they preached the gospel. But more than that, there was an under, underlying feeling and burden within these brothers that they were stewards. Just like in the old days, like in the, in the Egyptian and Pharaoh's household, uh, they have a big household. He had uh, stewards like Joseph. was a steward to make sure that uh, uh, Pharaoh's household would be taken care of, would be well fed. So today in God's household, consisting of so many members, who are the stewards? Where are the stewards who will make sure that the the members of God's household are richly fed? Today, they are preachers, they are teachers of the Bible, which is not wrong, which is not bad, but who pay attention to the feeding. Thank the Lord for the ministry of these two brothers, the ministers of the age, Brother Nhi and Brother Lee. I started reading the ministry when I was very young, but I can testify to you. I never regretted reading one message. I never re- regretted reading one life study message, one ministry message, because not only I was enlightened, but I was fed. I was fed. There were even times when I was reading the message, my heart was jumping. My heart, I was even literally jumping because it was it was it was there was such a supply. In, the, in this ministry, God has raised up <clears throat> this ministry in his recovery, not just to teach the Bible better, but to give God's children the food. Thank the Lord for this. And just like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, they were stewards of God's household, of God's manifold grace to be the channel of supply, to give God's people food at the proper time. So the next point follows, point C, give them food. I hope these three words can be uh, indelibly uh, ingrained, engraved on our heart. Give them food. Whether it's in just a small vital group meeting or four or five, or in a district meeting, or in a conference meeting, may this be our consciousness. Whenever we are in contact with some saints, give them food. Give them food refers to ministering the word of God and Christ as the life supply to the believers in the church. Christ as the life-giving spirit is our food, embodied and realized in the word of life. <clears throat> Surely, we cannot minister God as food without ministering his word to us. But this doesn't mean that we become a teacher of the Bible. We just teach people the theology, the Bible teaching, the doctrines. That is very different from feeding food. Yes, God's word, as the Lord Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But the Lord also says, told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think there is eternal life, but you will not come to me that you may have life. The word of God in itself as black and white does not does not is not food. What makes the word of God food is the spirit, is the life of God that it contains. So every time when we come to the Bible, we have to receive the life, the spirit that is embodied in the word. So <clears throat> in John chapter six, in verse uh, 63, right? That uh, uh, this, it, the uh uh, uh, it says the uh, uh, it is the my word is spirit and life god the, the word of god is not just some black letters on white paper it is spirit and life so if we want to give people food first of all we ourselves must be fed we must be richly fed with God as food. We have to be in the word, and we have to enjoy the word. We have to eat the word, right? So that we do not just have a head full of knowledge, of a lot of biblical knowledge, and doctrines and things, that will not give life. As Paul says, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So... If we want to be the faithful slaves to give food to God's household members, we ourselves must possess the food. We ourselves must come to the word, must be fed ourselves first. Then we can feed others with the food that we ourselves are fed with. Then whenever we come to touch the word, we open our spirit to touch the spirit in the word, to touch, to receive the life of God in the word. Now sub-point one says, in order to enjoy the Lord as our spiritual food so that we can feed others, we must pray over and muse on his word, tasting and enjoying it through careful consideration. Well, in the uh, uh Uh, July, in the summer training, we were on Jeremiah. I spoke on the message on uh, Jeremiah finding the word of God, right? I found uh, found the word and I ate them. Jeremiah realized the word of God was not just something for him to preach with, but it is food to him. Not only Jeremiah, but also Ezekiel. Also, John, the Apostle John, in Revelation, they were also instructed to eat the eat the scroll, eat the word. Brothers and sisters, if we want to give God's household members food, we ourselves must learn how to how to feed on God's word as food. We come to the word to be fed. God's word must be food to us, so that we can feed others. To do this, we must pray and muse over His word. You should not do this carelessly, quickly, loosely. I like these two words here: with through careful consideration. Uh, you know, every day we come we. We we uh, practice using the Holy Word for morning revival. Uh, usually there are a couple of verses at the beginning of each day for us to pray, read. Dear saints, we should not do this in a formal way, in a kind of a routine, uh, ritualistic way. Every time I open the page, Lord, I come to you afresh. I'm here not just I'm afraid even some saints just read through the verses, read through the text, and then say, I finished. I did my morning revival. No, you have to open your spirit, open your heart, and not just pray, read in a kind of uh, uh, routine, uh, formal way. No, you have to open your heart, open your spirit, even chew on the word carefully, slowly. With much careful consideration, prayerfully muse over the word um, so that we can suck out all the nutrients, the life juice, the milk that is in the word of God. Number two says, we must devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This was what the apostles uh, decided. In chapter 6, after the church in Jerusalem was set up, there were a lot of things, a lot of demands, from uh, uh, needs on on many sides. But the apostles came to this decision. We must give ourselves, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If they were going to give people food, they they themselves must be fed first. And the best way to get themselves fed is by prayer over the word, right? Today, we simply call it prayer reading. But prayer reading is not a method. Prayer reading is an exercise, exercising our spirit in prayer over the word of God. In this way, we absorb all the uh, the life nutrients in the word so that we, after we pray read, we f- we sense in our spirit, I'm full, I'm satisfied, I'm happy, right? That means you have you have you have eaten. Now you are fed. Prayer must be primary. The actually the uh, the, the the emphasis here is not so much on reading, it's more on prayer, right? We read by prayer, right? So that when you pray, you exercise your spirit and with your spirit, you strike the spirit in the word and you get the food. Now we come to point D. To say in your heart that our master delays is to love the present evil age and not to love the love the Lord's appearance. Well, in Matthew 24, we have... Uh, uh, you know, after the uh, uh, the master uh, set over his household, these uh, slaves, to charge them, commission them, to give them food. But then in verse 48, um, that evil slave says in his heart, my master delays. So somehow within this evil slave in his heart. He didn't say it, he may not say it loudly, out loud, but he says something in his heart. My master delays. In other words, he, did, he was not expecting his master to return that quickly. He would rather him, the master, come back later, that he can, he can use the time to do what he wants to do. He still have things he wants to carry out. So this is the first thing that he did. He he says in his heart, the master delays. This is for him to give an excuse to love the present evil age and not to love the Lord's appearing. The Lord says in Revelation three times, I come quickly. But in the last 2,000 years, how many believers, how many Christians would pray this prayer every day, like at the end of the Bible. Yes, Lord. Yes. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. How do we respond to the Lord's word? It seems that the Lord spoke. He will come quickly. But it seems that not many on earth cares whether he comes quickly or not. Rather, Many are still occupied by many things. I heard a believer many years ago told, told someone, I, I don't want the Lord to come back too soon. I still have many things to do. I, I'm pursuing a PhD degree. I, like to, I have to have that. I don't want, I don't want anything, anything to interfere. I was shocked to hear that. This, this was many years ago someone would like to push back the Lord's coming so that she can, she can finish what she wanted to do. She wanted her PhD so much. To you, it may not be a PhD. It may be your, your startup that you want to be successful. It may be a CEO position that you have been striving at or some kind of invention you are trying to 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 get to to arrive at we make excuses to say lord don't come back yet i still need more time the lord the master delays you may not say it outright you may not say it out loudly but in your heart you don't want the lord to come back that soon I don't know how the Lord feels, although he definitely, he clearly told us he comes quickly. But I don't know how much, how much response he, he receives from his children, from his believers, telling him, yes, Lord, come quickly. There are a lot of believers pray to him, beg for things, give me this, do that for me. But not many respond to his to his to his uh, 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 decoration to us he comes quickly these days I believe the Lord is visiting us with this word with this with this feeling with this sensation we cannot go on as his people in his recovery without any kind of Sensation wanting to have the Lord come back. If we are are the people who will accomplish God's eternal purpose, who will carry out his eternal economy, this feeling must fill our heart. Lord Jesus, come quickly. We long for your appearing, not just to come back to settle accounts, settle all the problems, but we want to see your face. I hope and I pray the Lord will stir up this kind of sensation throughout all the saints in his recovery. I don't know. I don't dare to say among the how many um, millions of, uh, hundreds of millions of Christians on the earth, there is this kind of sensation. For the most part, they want their own prosperity, welfare, or maybe their own spirituality. But how many yearn for the Lord's appearing? But here's a slave. He is a slave, but he didn't, he, he wanted the Lord to, he, he hoped, he wishes the Lord will come back, will delay his return so that he can carry on, can carry out what, what he wanted to do. Now, subpoint one says, we must beware of covetousness. Not storing up treasure for ourselves, but being rich toward God. Why would the slave say something like that? Wanting the Lord to delay his coming because he is coveting. He, is, he still wants his PhD. He still wants his, uh, his, billion, his, his billion dollar. He still wants his uh, position. Covetousness. He's coveting something. You know, Luke 12 tells us a parable of a rich man storing up things, building bigger barn so that he can enjoy. But then the, the Lord says that angel will come to tell, and tell that man, tonight I want your soul. You're storing up all these things for yourself. But tonight... You will your soul will be taken away. who is going to who is going to uh, receive all those riches that you accumulated? everything will just be in vain. Dear brothers and sisters, uh, I think along with Brother Braun, uh, this the burden is I believe is from the Lord uh, in these days seeing many. Young working saints are being raised up in the recovery, and we are living in a very, very uh, 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 precarious uh, age, uh, full of attraction, full of uh, all kinds of pleasures, entertainment, so-called opportunities. And then we are so close to the Lord's returning Are we we going to be found coveting all these things or just push back the Lord's uh, 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 coming so that we can achieve what we wanted to do? That would be a shame and that would be a pity. I hope the Lord would uh, be merciful to us and be gracious to us, that we will be of dispensational value to him, that we will see, we will see what is worthy of us to give our life, give our time, give our energy to. Do not cover all these things. Tomorrow they may not be here. Number two says, remember Lot's wife, means that we should not love and treasure the evil world, that God is going to judge. And utterly destroy. This is a solemn warning. To the world loving believers. In the last message. This was touched already. I'm not going to expound. Too much more. Remember lost wife. She was still lingering. She was. There was still something. In. Uh, 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 Sodom. That. That. She she will not give up. Saints, are there still something in the world that we will not give up? We will not detach? If the Lord wants to rapture you, want to take you away, are you ready to go? Remember lost wife. Don't look back. There's nothing worthwhile for us to linger. It doesn't mean that we quit our job our business and so forth. No, we still carry on our daily necessities, but our heart is not here, our roots are not here. We do what is necessary for our human living, for our human existence, but our roots are not here. Remember, lost wife, no, we, sh- we should not be lingering. Still the attachment. The word that came to me this afternoon is attachment. Are we attached still to so many things? Number three says we must be watchful and beseeching so that the day of the Lord's coming will not come upon us suddenly as a snare. Luke 21 verses 34 to 36 are uh, very touching, especially verse 36 that we may be, that we may prevail to escape the coming judgment. I hope the Lord will be gracious to us that we will be strong enough, that we will prevail to escape this coming judgment, not be found attached, chained up, chained down by our success. You may say, Well, I want to I want to make this gain, I want to make this deal. So do not let your heart tell you the Lord delays and give yourself excuses to just do what you want, to, be, to stay attached to all to the things of the earth. Now we come to the next point, point E. To beat our fellow slaves is to mistreat fellow believers. In verse uh, uh, after he says in his heart, Evil slave, my master delays. Then verse forty-nine says, "And he begins to beat his fellow slaves." What is to beat the fellow slaves? I mean, it is to mistreat fellow believers. You may say, "Well, saints, I have never hit my brother. I have never hit a brother, sister. I have never really mistreated any, 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 any saints." To mistreat, to, to beat the fellow slaves is to mistreat them. To mistreat them implies to criticize, to judge, to condemn, to demean, to abuse, to contempt, to revile. These are all words that you can attach to the word mistreat. What does it mean to mistreat a believer? just a little condemnation a little criticism a little little judgment these things, how easy it is for us to pass on judgment judging words to one another why 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 don't you come come to the meeting on time always late and usually in this uh, uh, uh I was considering this quite much: the mistreatment of the fellow believers. Maybe not in the not in the bad sense. In the word, in other words, is because of if you don't care, you if you don't love the Lord, probably you don't care to uh, adjust others. It's when you love the Lord so much, when you love the church so much, you want to you, right away when something not going going your way, according to your a standard, you judge, you condemn, you criticize. How often this is seen among us. Of course, we spoke this word to the elders and the leading brothers. We were full of burdens, especially to the elders and the responsible brothers, co-workers. Because we are in a position, we have to take the lead, but also it's easy for us to pass on Judgment, criticism. But this this applies not only to uh, apl- applicable to the leading ones, bearing responsibility. This applies to all of us. We are, we are not living an individual Christian life by ourselves before the Lord. We are living in the church life, together with so many saints, fellow members, This is altogether of God's sovereignty. And among so many members who are so different, with different traits, with different habits and ways, if we are not so exercised, it's so easy for us to pass on judgment, critical spirits, condemnation, and worse, reviling. This is mistreatment of fellow believers Point one says we must not judge and condemn our fellow believers, but be kind to them, tender hearted, forgiving them, even as God in Christ forgave us. Luke chapter six, verse thirty-seven tells us we should not judge lest we be judged. Let God be the judge. Don't pass on your judgment so quickly. I heard saints not only not only toward the believers among us, but even toward outsiders who are not uh, unbelievers. Look! Oh, there! Look at the look at the color hair. Hair is blue and green and purple. Ah! All the all the rings everywhere. All the tattoos everywhere. He cannot. He he can, he is not for God. He is not a chosen one. Brother Lee, in in his book, The Word of Love, he says in he spoke a strong word saying that the reason that the recovery is barren, is lack of fruit, is because a spirit, a judgmental spirit is prevailing among us. We, We pass on judgment of one another. Not only among ourselves, but even the outsiders. This one doesn't fit. That one is not seeking God. The judgmental spirit, legal, the legal spirit. That's why we are barren. Here, <clears throat> let me continue. Of course, uh, 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 Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, uh, verses thirty-one. 32 are uh, uh, excellent. It says, Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be removed from you with all malice <clears throat> and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ also forgave you. If we are going to have a church life, if we are going to have uh, uh, the bride prepared, uh, that We need to put away all our bitterness, anger, and wrath, evil speaking, that the Lord may have a way to build us up together as his organic body to be the bride prepared for his return. Number two says, we must not revile or criticize our brothers, but consider them more excellent than ourselves. Reviling is one of the the things mentioned in 2 Timothy 3, that in the first few verses, that in the last days, Paul said, difficult times will come. And one of the things that he described was revilers, reviling. What is to revile? To revile is to assail with contemptuous language, to speak abusively. I have seen, through my visit, traveling in the churches, I have seen brothers, just assailing brothers with contemptuous words. You are no good. You are, you are, uh, you, are you, you, you are, you are, you are, you are, you sh- you don't you you don't you uh, uh, you're not qualified to serve a lot of critical words and some has been reviling for years decades causing much suffering to the church to the saints fortunately not yet division but some places even to the point of division. Some could not take it anymore. Saints were wounded. Saints were altogether just being crushed. Saints, this matter of beating the fellow slaves is a serious matter. In our service, we are to fulfill God's commission, to give God's Member, household members, food. but instead, we beat them. We criticize them. As I said, this applies not only to the, to the leading ones, but also among ourselves. We need to be very exercised what we speak to one another. Reviling is a serious matter. In First Peter chapter three verses eight to nine, we should not be um, uh, let me read that to you. And finally, be all of the same mind, sympathetic, loving the brothers, tender hearted, humble minded, <clears throat> not rendering evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing one another, because you were called to this, that you might inherit the blessing. Instead of reviling to reviling, we blessing upon blessing then you will see the recovery will prosper. The recovery will be blessed. We must not revile. Uh, I read that uh, to consider others more excellent than ourselves. Little A says reviling is when we cause the saints to inwardly suffer pain or to be inwardly wounded by assailing and criticizing them harshly with abusive language. The Lord's word is very strong and very clear. When we say some things to cause a saint to stumble, it's a serious matter. The Lord says, if a little member is stumbled by you, you might as well hang a a rock around your neck to be jumped into the ocean. Unfortunately, saints in our history, there are saints, leading ones, particularly, who tend to, who tend to um, oversee the church in that way. When something, some saints do not go along with a certain direction uh, of, of of the leading, then they he reviles. And he just causing wounded, causing saints to be wounded inwardly, suffering pain year after year. He says, The Lord's way is to bind up our wounds, healing us, and to pour oil and wine on our wounds, giving us the Holy Spirit and the divine life. The Lord's way is always the way is the way of recovery it's the way of restoration through the oil and the wine the spirit and the divine life see one of the reasons the church is divided and damaged is that there are reviling words those who take in reviling words bear the same responsibility as those who speak reviling words <clears throat> In order for the church to maintain the oneness, we have to withstand reviling words. The the reviling can go so intensely that it will lead to division of the church. The saints are suffering and the enemy has the ground to come in, to cause division because of the reviling words of some of these saints. But here this point is quite, is very important. Those who take in reviling words bear the same responsibility as those who speak reviling words. In other words, there's some brother who speaks reviling words to you. And you stand up to him and you revile him back. You you cannot just say, Well, because he reviled me, that is he is he is to be condemned. Well, by your reviling back, you are also held responsible. You cannot just defer he was the one who did it first. You by your reviling back, you bear the same responsibility. Also, there's another possibility is that when we see reviling. There are some are so beaten; they are just so crushed, and they they just uh, uh, either uh, uh, just remain in themselves. They just eventually took a uh, take a take a step back to retreat. That is not the solution. The Lord has to, uh, uh, you know, the has to have a way to withstand the reviling words not by outward quarreling to go uh, uh, to have an uh, exchange of words. That will not help. But we need to withstand, be able to stop the furthering of the reviling words with a proper exercise of, uh, of the word of righteousness, which is not easy to do, I admit, but either, either we get ourselves into reaction by getting into a, a verbal fight, or we just retreat and just let the reviling words continue. And eventually, that brings, brings in even damage and division to the church. It's so serious. Little D says the consciousness of sin comes from knowing God, In the same way, the consciousness of reviling words comes from the knowledge of the body. Reviling words are opposed to the testimony of the body. Some may, after speaking reviling words, they don't have any sense of any problem, anything wrong. They may feel that, oh, that person deserves it, he needs to be corrected. He cannot behave like this. He justifies himself. He is altogether in blindness. Without the Lord's light. He, will, he has no consciousness. The consciousness of reviling words comes from the knowledge of the body. In your, in your human body, every member, there's not one member reviles Another member, just because they, had, they have different function, carry out different things, but there's no reviling. We learn to live in harmony, in coordination, but the reviling, when someone starts reviling, practices reviling, is a clear indication that he does not know what the body is. He has no consciousness of the body. The body is being hurt, being wounded, being damaged, suffering, but the reviling continues. It is in opposition to the testimony of the body. That's why this is so serious. Little E says, The Lord warns us that the revilers will not inherit the kingdom of God in the next age as a reward to the overcoming saints. It is so serious, saints in 1 Corinthians 6.10, <clears throat> that uh, a list of persons not qualified to uh, enter into the kingdom of God, revilers <clears throat> are one of them. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor the rapacious will inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is altogether Opposed to any kind of reviling. Okay, number, uh, number three, we must, not, we must not lord it over our fellow believers, but serve them as slaves to feed them with the resurrected Christ as the life giving spirit. Saying if the Lord be, if, is merciful to us, not only the leading ones, but also the saints toward one another we would put away any kind of reviling, any kind of a critical spirit, and we treat one another, we consider one and another more excellent than ourselves, then we also, we would minister and serve others by God's, by Christ's resurrection life. That is signified by the budding rod of Aaron. This is how the root, the, the uh Overseers of the church, the elders, the co-workers, as they exercise overseership over God's people, not by uh, compulsion, not by uh, exercising their authority, but to give people food, to administer the resurrection life of Christ. Okay, point F. To eat and drink with the drunken is to keep company with worldly people who are drunk with worldly things. This is the third thing that the evil slave did. He he was eating and drinking with the drunken. Number one says, Because of their divine nature and holy standing, the believers should not be yoked together with the unbelievers. This should be applied to all intimate relationships between believers and unbelievers, not only to marriage and business, to have friendship with the world uh, will eventually cause you uh, to be distracted from the vision, from the vision of Christ and the church. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three tells us, evil companionship corrupts good morals we cannot uh uh whom with whom we are companion <clears throat> with whom we spend time with spend time it's important we should we should pursue the lord the next point number 2 says we should we must flee youthful lusts and pursue the all inclusive christ with those who call on the lord out of a pure heart we should have companions Love the Lord, vital companions to pursue the Lord, then we can then we will grow together. But to have companions with ones who have a different vision than us. It may not be doing business together, it may not be in marriage, but even just to have just to have close friendship with ones who do not have the same vision will cause you to deviate. To find, to get yourself uh, drunken with the drunkard, the worldly people, and you, you miss the vision. You become stupefied. Now, point G the faithful and prudent slave will be rewarded with the authority to rule in the manifestation of the kingdom, whereas the evil slave will be cut off from the glorious Christ, from the glory of his kingdom, and from his glorious presence in his kingdom. Okay, now we come to the second section of this message. Matthew 25, 14 to 30 reveals that we must be faithful in service in the Lord's gifts to make a profit for him so that we may enter into the joy of the Lord in the coming kingdom. So in addition to giving uh, the slave a commission to give food to God's household, the master also gave gifts, the talents, to these uh, slaves to expect them to make a profit. Now, says the Lord, likened Himself to a man going abroad into the heavens and delivering to his slaves his possessions. His possession signifies the church with all the believers who constitute God's household. God has many possessions. So God delivered. He delivered to these slaves his possessions. The church, all the believers, even including the sinners. The sinners, man created by him, the gospel. These are God's possession. And these have been given to these slaves. Is, is so meaningful. And B says to one of his slaves, the master gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. Well, here we are told that the master gave his slaves, <clears throat> each one of them, uh, a talent. One has five, one has two, one has one. No one can say he has none. The least he has one. To the first thing we all must realize, brothers and sisters, as slaves of the Lord, we all have been gifted. We may not be all. We may not be a five-talented member, but we have. We are at least a one-talented member. We all have been gifted, and we. The Lord expects. That we all will use our gifts to make, to make a game, to make out a, a game of these talents. Little one says, talent signifies spiritual gifts, spiritual skills, and ability. Well, where do these gifts come from? It came from the Lord. You say, well, I cannot give messages. When I uh, stand up to prophesy, I stutter. I forget. I I forget what I was going to say. You know, we have I met saints who are so discouraged about themselves because they just cannot get the points together. Every time she stands up, she just feel I just I just uh, dumbfounded. I just I just lost my words. Well, just because you cannot give messages, you cannot give. Uh, um, uh, you know explain things clearly doesn't mean that you are not gifted the saints who may not speak well but they are a wonderful serving one giving hospitality and in in giving in uh, showing mercy they are so gifted in these areas actually there are some very eloquent ones they are not they are not good in those other areas in rendering help and so forth God has given, Different gifts to different members. And we have to believe every member in the body of Christ is gifted. And in these last days, before the Lord returns, all these gifts, all these talents have to be unearthed and be exercised. This is the service that is needed in these final hours, in these final days. It's not the service carried out by the so called giants special gifts, but is the service carried out by all the saints, all the ones with one talented members. This is a tremendous matter. Number two says, all the members of the body of Christ are gifted and all are gifts. You know, both in the world and also in Christianity, the leaders, they pay attention to how gifted a person is. They like to assign responsibility to these gifts, to these gifted ones, talented ones. In the church life, for the building up of the church, gifts are needed. But these are not gifts in the natural sense. These must be gifts of life. You know, there are two verses, which shows us actually the two aspects of gifts. Gifts. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, we are told that the gifts are according to the grace. Uh, In Romans um, 12, 6 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In other words, you want more gifts? Enjoy more grace. Every day we have to come to the Lord to enjoy him as grace. The more grace you enjoy of the Lord, the more gifted you become. But then in, there's another another side of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, which says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, grace is given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. But what does it mean? Does grace comes first or does, does gift comes first? According to Romans 12, gift are given according to the grace that you enjoy. But according to Ephesians 4, the grace was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Just like in a human body, my shoulder receives a lot more blood than my little pinky, than my little toe, right? Because in our body, all the different members have different measures, and depending on the size of the vessel of the of the of the parts, well, there's so much more blood goes to a certain area of the body. So on the one hand, surely like the Apostle Paul, he was a he was a great gift. He was uh, uh, and uh, and we'll see in the next point that uh, uh, one's ability also is is constitutive based on God's creation and one's learning, then more grace is being rendered, supplied to those ones who have a greater measure. But in the same way, we can become greater gifts by enjoying more grace, right? So by receiving more grace, we become gifts to the body. So gifts are not for anyone to show off for people's appraisal, for people's appreciation. This is being being misunderstood and misapplied among Christians. They aspire to be gifted, like the Corinthians. They want it to be spiritual. They want to be gifted for people to admire it. Gifts are for the body. We need many gifts. We we, we, We don't agree with the kind of gifts being promoted among the Pentecostals those are those are actually those gifts actually tear down the body the proper gifts that comes from the enjoyment of God's grace helps the body of Christ to be built up okay let me continue number 3 own ability signifies our natural ability which is constituted of God's creation and our learning well we have to admit that Paul's Paul's ability is many folds bigger than ours. Brother Watchman needs ability, his measure is much larger than ours. Well, this is just the way that God created certain ones. And even between the apostles, right? The Apostle Paul compared to Apostle Peter, who was a who was a fisherman, and even Peter admitted Paul had a portion that he that Peter himself does not have. Well, this is out of God's creation and also out of their learning. And these are not for for to make for us to make comparison, for us to to be to to be to make competition. These are all for the building up of the body. They are all for the receiving of grace, for the dispensing of grace. Now, little A says the natural strength and ability become useful in resurrection for our service to the Lord in order to make us both pillars and pillar builders for the fulfilling of God's eternal purpose. I say gifts are for God's building. Gifts are not for you to be, for someone to be put on the pedestal, for someone, for people to admire it. That is ugly. That is degradation. Gifts are for the body. And just like in the Old Testament with the building of the temple, Hiram was uh, asked to help build a temple. He was a master. He was gifted. He built a pillar. Today in the churches, we need to have many gifted members. Saints who have been, you know, you pass through the training, even Boston third year training. These training help to perfect you, to make you a pillar. And not only that, to make you even a pillar builder. Builder to build others, to make them others pillars as well. Today, the churches in the lost recovery needs many pillars who can stand up to support such a building. There is a great need for this. But just because you are naturally gifted, it doesn't mean that you are qualified to be such a builder or pillar builder. You need to pass through the process of death and resurrection. So the next point follows. Moses, Peter, and Paul's natural ability passed through the cross and came up in resurrection to be used by the Lord for the building up of his body. Moses thought he was well-equipped because he was born in Egypt, trained in the Egyptians' knowledge. And Peter was probably one of the top fishermen in his time. And Paul, of course, he was uh, uh, the top, uh, top dog in the, among the, uh, the Pharisees. But all these ones had to pass through a time of dealing of death and resurrection. Moses need to go through, pass through another 40 years in the wilderness. Peter need to pass through the three times of denial of the Lord, of a total discouragement about himself. And even Paul, he lost confidence of himself, even loss of hope. And through all these, the natural abilities passed through the cross and came up in resurrection. And only the abilities that came through in resurrection will be used by the Lord for the building up of his body. Now C says, trading with talents signifies using the gift that the Lord has given us, gaining other talents signifies that the gift we receive from the Lord has been used to the fullest extent, without any loss or waste. Saints, we need to use our talents. We already have been given the talents. We need to use our talents. What does it mean by use? That means we have to. We have to uh, 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 trade. Means to you have to circulate. You have to invest. Don't be passive. To use the talent, just not like that one talented slave. He did not trade. He did not use. He just made excuse. Today, I like to say a word again to the young adults, which I where I notice these days many young adults they don't mind maybe participating in some serving. But they would prefer not to bear any responsibility. Well, in the, Lord's, in the building of the church, in the building up of the body of Christ, many of the young adults needed to be raped, need to rise up to bear responsibility. And this is not something by demand, something that you have to take initiative. You don't have to be asked. You need to take, go to the Lord. And Lord, to receive grace from the Lord, I want to use my talent. Don't let your talent be buried. You have to use it. No one can use it for you. You You're the only one who can use it. Doesn't mean that you become ambitious. You want to use your talent to do something great for yourself. No, but you want to use your talent for the Lord's sake. And also to gain other talents, meaning that, You are using it to the fullest extent without wasting it. Now, D says, in contrast to the five talented and two talented ones, the one talented one went off, dug in the earth, and hid his master's money. This signifies not using the Lord's gift to save people and to minister his riches to them. The earth signifies the world. Thus, Duck in the earth signifies becoming involved in the world to bury the gift we have received from the Lord. Again, it's just a word of warning, dear saints. We are living today in a world very particular. Very, on one hand, is very chaotic, very uh, tumultuous, very confusing. on the other hand, a world today very advanced, full of opportunities, demanding a lot, from many of the young adults to give yourself, to give your soul. It's very easy to, for you to just duck yourself, duck in the earth and get involved with the world and unconsciously that you buried the talent, the gift that you have received from the Lord. The world will only help to bury your talent. Number two says, hit his master's money Signifies rendering the Lord's gift useless. Letting it lie waste under the cloak of certain earthly excuses. To make any excuse for not using the Lord's gift is to hide the gift. When the Lord returns, we all stand before the judgment seat to give account to what we do, to what we did in our life. We cannot, the Lord will not take our excuses to say I have a I have a family of of five. I have to make ends meet. I want to make mortgage. I want to make car payment. I want to make sure my kids are going into a private school, getting properly educated. I just don't have time. Dear saints, I'm not. We are not here to tell each other what to do, but surely we have to to we all have to give account to the lord we have been given gifts talents by the lord and he expects us to make a, re- a return so we should not let our excuses to to uh, uh, cause us to bury our talent right we all have to answer to the lord now, E, the master says to the evil and slothful slave that he should have deposited the master's money with the money changers, the bankers. Who are the bankers? Well, there are many bankers. Actually, the, the sinners, the backslidden saints, the dormant ones, the weak ones, the little ones. These are all bankers to whom you can invest a little bit of your, of your deposit. You can deposit some of your money. Some of the Lord's gift with them, right? Spending a 10 minutes to pray with and for and with these uh, weaker ones. This is your investment into the, with the money changers. And when he came, he would have recovered what was his with interest. One says, in a sense, we may say that the money changers, the bankers, are all the new ones, young ones, and backsliding ones. The best way for us to use our talent is to take care of others, to become interested in others and concern for them in order to dispense Christ into them. This is the God-ordained way. This is where every saint is useful. You don't need to, uh, to be a co-worker. You don't need to be uh, a spiritual giant. Saints, every ma- one of us is gifted. Every one of us is able to invest what we have The little that we have into a sinner, into a backslidden one, calling them up, write an email to show a concern. This is your investment. The little investment will bring in a return. right. Number two says, as we spend time with the Lord and open to him regarding whom we should take care of, he will burden us as we contact and have fellowship with others by being one with the Lord in cherishing them with His presence and nourishing them with His riches, we will spontaneously use our talent. Right? You. Did, this is a, This is. We should not think of it as a big task. Just in a very little ways, little ways, a little a, a one little phone call, a little short prayers with another one can go a long way. Then, number three, then when the Lord comes, he will recover what was his with interest as the profitable result that we gain for the Lord's work by using his gift. Okay, point F, when the Lord comes back, he will settle accounts with us. This signifies the Lord's judging at his judgment judgment seat in the air within his parousia, where the believer's living conduct and work will be judged for reward or punishment. And G, the Lord's reward is not related to the size and quantity of our work, but to our faithfulness in using his gift to the fullest extent. It is so wonderful. The Lord, the five talented one, brought in another five. The two talented one brought in another two. The Lord spoke the same words to those two. Come into the joy of your master. Just because the five brought in five, He is, he gained more than the two who brought in only two. But the Lord's reward to them is the same. It's not about the quantity, the size of our work. I believe if the one talented one would come back with another talent, the Lord will, will reply, will say the same thing to this one. Come into the joy of your master. Don't belittle what the Lord has given to you. The Lord is looking for us to be faithful to what has been given to us. Christ himself will be our crown of life, crown of righteousness, and crown of glory as a reward to us for our enjoyment in the coming kingdom. And finally, last point, in the coming kingdom, the Lord's gift will be taken away from the slothful believers and they will be cast into outer darkness, but the faithful believers will. Gifts will be increased. In other words, the one who has 10 now, uh, the Lord will take away the one talent, the one talent from the one to give it to the one who has 10. The one, so in other words, the, the less you, the more you don't want to use your talents, even the little bit you have will be taken away from you. The more you exercise your talents, the more will be added to you. And they will enter into the joy of their master. To participate in in the Lord's joy is the greatest reward. Better than glory, better than position in the kingdom. Dear saints, what we are looking forward to is not to sit at the Lord's right hand or sit in a certain position in the kingdom. We, the Lord's presence, the the Lord himself, is our greatest reward. We, if we are faithful to Him, to His commission, and to exercise the gifts, the talent that He gave us, we will be brought into the joy of our Master. Right? We will share the joy with Him. This is so uh, um, uh, uh, so inspiring that we. I hope that uh, uh, we will all be encouraged by this word. Don't look at yourself, the little that we have, that uh, the Lord has already uh, given his possession to us, which becomes our talent, right? And, uh, and we use the talent, and then these talents will be multiplied, and he will recover what belongs to him. Then we will be rewarded. May the Lord bless us with this word. Amen.